You may have heard that the Mediterranean diet is one of the healthiest diets that there is. But what if I told you today that there was an even healthier version than the Mediterranean diet? Today on the midweek motivational episode of The Nutrition Couch, we are going to talk which is actually the world's healthiest diet and the ways that you may be undoing all of your hard work when it comes to eating for health and longevity. Hi, I'm Susie Burrell. And each week we bring you The Nutrition Couch, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know in the world of nutrition. As well as the world's healthiest diets, today Leanne is going to share a healthier type of juice that she's found in the supermarket. And she's also been cooking up some pretty healthy fare, which she's going to share with us now that the temperatures are dropping a little bit. But to kick us off today, Leanne, I had a really interesting article cross my path because we have spoken about the Mediterranean diet for many, many years. You know, that people who come from the Mediterranean area and and have good fats and loads of serves of fresh fruits and vegetables live longer and have less disease risk. But actually, when you look at the science around healthy eating, there's actually a diet that dates back more than 20 years that is technically, we say technically because the Mediterranean diet is still a good choice, but technically from a scientific perspective, actually healthier than that, meaning that when people follow it, they actually live longer and have even a lower risk of developing lifestyle diseases. So I thought we haven't spoken about this before and it might be a a pretty interesting topic. So it's called the Alternate Healthy Eating Index, A-H-E-I, and also known, you may have seen it or if you Google it, it comes up as the Harvard Diet Plan. And the reason is it was developed by a Harvard researcher, a very well-known researcher in the nutrition space, Dr. Walter Willett, and he had used it, as I said, over 20 years ago when he was categorizing data sets of people and their lifespan and their disease risk and what they ate. And the really interesting thing about the Harvard diet plan compared to the Mediterranean is that when he was assessing people's diets for health, not only did he assess the number of good foods they were eating, so for example, if they were eating a certain number of serves of fruit and vegetables or a certain type of oil or exercising to a certain amount, He also, Leanne, took into account poor dietary habits. So for example, if people consume sugar-sweetened drinks or consume takeaway foods more frequently or had particularly high intakes of red meat. So rather than just focus on what people were consuming in the diet, it also took into account the bad foods they were adding and the effect of that. So it's actually a research tool that gives you a dietary score. So unlike the Mediterranean diet, which is a general description of an eating pattern, and that's how you recommend seven to 10 serves of fresh fruit and veg or so much extra virgin olive oil each day and minimal processed foods, this diet actually assigns scores for key components. And then you don't get any points if there's, or actually lose points if there's some other areas in it. So for example, when you grade yourself if you don't consume any vegetables, you get a score of zero. Whereas if you consume five or more serves per day, you get a score of 10. If you had sugar sweetened drinks or juice added to your diet, you would reverse the scoring. So get, say, a minus value taken. And so overall, when you do all the calculations, it's quite labor intensive, you get a sort of a score. I think it's out of 120. 110. And that is basically a, a 110, a perfect dietary score. And the reason I wanted to discuss it today was not because I expect everyone to go and, and score their own diets, which you certainly can um, and, and do that if you search the Harvard diet. But I thought it was really interesting, Leanne, because it was the first time in an evidence-based way 
I had heard it discussed that it's not only about the foods that you have, but also the bad foods that are there. Because I see this a lot with my clients, Leanne. On the surface, their diets are good. You know, they're having more vegetables after we've done our work together. They are, you know, having um, protein balance. They're choosing better quality carbohydrates. But, and we know this from studies about what Australians eat in general, there's still plenty of crap going in. There's still plenty of red meat or processed meat. There's still sweet treats. There's still alcohol. And so I think it is an important message and what I wanted to discuss today it's not enough to just tick the box on the good stuff going in. You've also got to make sure that the extras, the discretionary food, the bad fats, the fast food, the takeaway aren't slipping in too much because that does have a negative effect on our health and well-being long-term. And it's really easy to do. You know, if you treat yourself each day, if you drink alcohol more than a couple of days a week, if you order Uber Eats more than once or twice, you know, those negatives are really adding up and that has a big role to play in our overall health risk. So had you heard of this before or seen it with clients or spoken about it? I've briefly heard of it, but if I'm being honest, I hadn't done too much reading um, about it, but they really looked at some, you know, like some of the research behind it is quite strong because they actually analyzed so many, you know, huge kind of studies. And just for our little science nerd listers out there, like Susie and I, who want to know a little bit more about the science behind it, in the article, it really talks about some of the research links. So people who scored higher on the AHEI, which is the Alternative Healthy Eating Index, had a lower risk of chronic disease. So one of the big key studies that they looked at, which came from the Journal of Nutrition, which we know is a very reputable journal, included 71,495 women and 41,029 men. So they analyzed over 100,000 people. And they found that those people in that study who scored higher on the AHEI index had a 19% lower risk of chronic disease, including a 31% lower risk of heart disease and a 33% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who had a low score. Now, they also looked at another study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And in that study, there were 7,319 participants. And of those participants, once they scored through their diet, those who had higher scores had a 25% lower risk of dying from any cause and a 40% lower risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. So some of these health markers, Susie, like they're too good to go past. And like you said, I really like that it scores you well for the healthy foods you consume. But like we know from seeing clients week in and week out in our clinics for, you know, close, you're over 10 years, I'm close to 10 years myself in clinical practice. We're still eating too much crap, right? We're eating some good foods. We're making the effort to have more vegetables, but there's too much alcohol. There's too much ultra processed foods. There's too many treats. There's too big a portions of that kind of stuff going in. It's kind of like I eat relatively well Monday to Thursday, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is a bit of a free for all. So I like that it just kind of gives and takes points away to kind of come up with a, a overall, I guess, rating out of 110. And I think the take home message for listeners is not to scaremonger anyone, but I do regularly see extras slipping in. Now, in particular, what this highlighted was that there's no safe amount of sugar sweetened beverage in our diet, whether it's, we're going to talk about veggie juice in a second, but concentrated fruit juices, coconut water, cordial, energy drinks, soft drinks, it really is bad for us. You know, there's no safe amount. You shouldn't have it as a treat for kids on the weekend. I see it all the time. They should never have it. It's, it's one of the most toxic foods that can go into their diet and that's well um, a lot of evidence around that. And I think Walter Willett was years ahead of his time to name that 20 years ago, the effect on blood glucose regulation and craving for sweet food. It's got to go. That You can't have a safe amount of it. And the other is, I think, the fast food and the takeaway. We're busy, we're time poor, 
you know, we're often ordering in a couple of times a week or buying our lunch out two or three times a week. That is generally processed fast food. You know, it's really high calorie. It uses a lot of of extra fats. It uses refined carbohydrates. So, you know, the take-home message for me is really have a look in, in how often are you treating yourself? It's time to get honest. And if it is more than a couple of times a week with fried or fast food, it's time to cut back and really limit it to that once a week, really minimize any kind of sugary drink intake. And of course, focus on what we always talk about, which is the seven to 10 serves of fresh fruit and veggies. And and those simple sort of hard steps and cleaning up the diet will go a long way in, in reducing disease risk and um, hopefully helping you to live a long and healthy life. But if you do want to do your own calculation score, you can go to the Harvard website and look under the Harvard diet plan and calculate it yourself. It's, it's quite interesting, Leanne. And as well as focusing on the veggies and the fruit, I'll just round us out by saying the whole grains matter, nuts, legumes, um, vegetable type protein sources like tofu, of course, fish and salmon, and some of our healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil and avocado, they all help to give you more points towards the scoring system as well. Now, doing our little product review, we've obviously changed the format of our podcast today, Susie. So we just sort of talk about one new or interesting product that we found at the supermarket. And this week, I wanted to chat about a vegetable juice. And we know, or hopefully our listeners know, that often a lot of the vegetable juices in the supermarket or in the juice bars are often really just fruit juices with a little bit of spinach or a little bit of kale thrown in for good measure. So to come across one at the supermarket with a couple of vegetables added, and in fact, this one has 2.8 serves of vegetables, Susie. This is one of the best commercially made veggie juices I've actually seen, which is really great. So it's the original juice veggie goodness spinach zucchini and kale. So it comes in a litre bottle. It retails for $6 at Woolworths. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's a budget friendly option, but I really do think that if you're someone who doesn't love vegetables, it is a good way to get it in. And in my opinion, this is better than having something like a greens powder. We get asked a lot of questions about greens powder, but at least you're getting more nutrients from the actual vegetables themselves. We're always food first. If you can't eat the food in its whole form, fine, juice it, get it down how you can. And then lastly would come something like a greens powder. So the original veggie juice contains 68% yellow carrot juice, followed by 16% cloudy pear, followed by 3.5% of zucchini puree, 2.5% of kale puree. We've also got some lemon juice in there, some food acid, and some vitamin C. So out of those ingredients, Susie, a super clean ingredient panel, we've got carrot juice, pear, zucchini, kale, and lemon juice. So three different types of vegetables in there with a bit of pear just to make it that little bit more palatable, and 2.8 serves of vegetables overall, which I think is fabulous. So a serving size the company is considered as 250 mils, so a cup. So per cup, we've got 338 kilojoules, zero grams of protein, zero grams of fat, which we would expect, 14 grams of carbohydrates. That's naturally occurring carbohydrates with all 14 of that being 14 grams of sugar. So the bulk of that is coming from the pear juice, but also a little bit out of the carrot and some of the lemon juice as well. And they haven't listed any dietary fiber on the label. I haven't actually tried this one, I must admit, from a palatability perspective, but it might be one of those like really strained juices, or I assume it would have a little bit of fiber content in there anyway, but you're absolutely going to always do best having the real deal. But I did think that this was a, a great one. One that you can kind of pop into the supermarket and see if even if your kids can have a little bit, you know, water it down if they find it a little bit sort of too much. But I think it's a great way to get in a couple of extra serves of veggies for the whole family. I love veggie juices. Now, if you go to the juice bars, they're sort of seven, eight dollars, but I'll often get a green juice um, or a beetroot, celery, carrot. And I actually encourage any of my clients who have high blood pressure to include a beetroot juice each day. I think it's a really great way to get a concentrated source of antioxidants. And you're right, for kids who aren't great veggie eaters, 
and they, they're happy to have a green juice. I think it's a great choice. But I'm a big fan and I think that it, it can be a great nutritious addition to the diet and, and quite different to a fruit-based juice. They're not inexpensive, but this is, you're right, one of the best formulations I've seen. I also like quite like the V8 green and beetroot juice in the long life section, but I think this is actually in the fridge section, this one. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah, long life, yeah, but fridge. I haven't seen it. I think it's a great find. And yeah, you know, I sort of recommend it almost as a medicinal shot. Like that's based on 250 mil. I usually get my clients to have, say, 100, 150 just to keep the carbs under control a bit, but I have no issue with it. And my personally, Leanne, find that they're much better if you have them with ice really iced up. They're much more refreshing. Oh, I was going to say coming into winter, a great way to boost your intake of key nutrients, including vitamin C. And also for anyone recovering from long COVID, a veggie juice is a great addition. All right. Well, for our final segment of the show, Leanne, now I, Leanne and I both cook regularly and we're going to start to share a lot more of what we're cooking at home. Now, Leanne has cooked up something very warm and nourishing for the cooler days. Now, I can't say it would probably be on the top of my list, but Leanne is a big fan. So what what are we encouraging everyone to make this week, Leanne? Look, I know you're not a fan of the beans and the legumes, but for health overall, they're one of the best things we can do. So these are some healthy sausage rolls, healthy sausage rolls. So they're vegetarian based. There's no meat in them. I'm not obviously a big fan of sausage rolls. It's got the the type of meat that we don't really want in there for good health. And of course, a lot of fat coming from the puff pastry. So there's a couple of things we can do to make this healthier overall. But I made these um, and even David and his mom had some and they were like, these are delicious. What's in these? So the recipe is from taste.com. They're called cheesy vegetarian sausage rolls. They actually added a little bit of Vegemite in here, which I didn't add to mine, but the base ingredients are olive oil, brown onion, and garlic. They added Vegemite. I thought that was weird, so I left it out. Chili flakes and a couple of spices. Then they've added mushrooms, grated sweet potato, a tin of brown lentils. I also grated up some carrot and zucchini to get in some extra vegetables. You cook all the veggie up, then you stir through some cheese, make it nice and cheesy. Then you put it between some puff pastry. You roll it up, you brush it with egg on top, and you bake your sausage rolls, basically. So they're healthier kind of vegetarian sausage rolls. You're getting in more fiber, far less red meat-based protein. So it's really good for your health, but it's still high protein with the lentils and the cheese as well. Super, super delicious, Susie. Really, really tasty. And to make them a little bit better, I added obviously more grated veggie to boost the veggie intake, which I thought was great. And if you're really concerned about, you know, puff pastry is quite heavy. It is quite high calorie, quite high fat. If you use something like a phyllo pastry instead, you can actually save yourself a huge whack of calories as well. So much better from a health perspective. But if you've got little kids who are, you know, struggling to eat well, struggling to gain weight, by all means use a puff pastry. But if you're someone who's trying to monitor or lose um, body fat, you're probably far better off swapping to a phyllo pastry. I think they did look delicious. Absolutely, they did. Can I ask you, though, what was Mia's thoughts on them, Leanne? You can't. That's not fair. She's going through her fussy eating toddler stage. <laughs> she flung it off the high chair. It was, a hard, it was a hard no. It was a hard no from Mia, but what I will do is I'll try them with the twins and we'll see if they notice because they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, so let's have a look. Anyway, Leanne will pop that up, a picture on our Instagram. That brings us to the end of the Nutrition Couch for another Wednesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe and tell your friends about us. And we've changed our episodes so each week you get a weekly motivational drop as well as our bigger, longer episode on a Sunday. If you haven't seen any of our products, we've got a supermarket guide and a brand new takeaway guide on our website, which is thenutritioncouch.com. And we will see you on Sunday for our regular weekly drop. Have a great week. Catch you guys next week.